Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. This is the spot, the place, the location where we give you unconditional love. <laughs> uh, this is a place where the conversations are really pointed, the guests are super sharp, and the responses are never dull. We're going back to the land down under with Dr. Ann Butcher. She is a woman that has spent her life uh, working with people to overcome trauma. She's worked with women in domestic violence, abuse situations, sexual assault. She's also a life mindset coach and a therapy counselor. I'm going to ask her about some things that's going on in the world down there in Australia. I'm sure she's going to be very forthright and honest, um, but also things that we can encapsulate in our hearts and our minds to deal with the trauma. I, you know, I don't know. I'm one of those believers that. I don't think people ever get over it. I think they learn how to cope and deal with it. So she's the expert, and we'll talk to her more about that in just a moment. How are you, Dr. Ann? I'm really well, April. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Oh, so glad to have you. I love to talk to trauma recovery specialists because everybody's been traumatized. We were just talking about the loss of my dog, and I'm still, you know, and it's the little things. I was in my morning meditation the other day, and the message that kept resonating with me is the little things, just the little things that, you know, we suppress, that we hold back, and it just keeps us buried. In your line of work and expertise, do you see that people ever get over trauma, or is, like I said, they learn to really cope and deal with it? What's the real deal? Yeah, look, the answer is that people can learn to live with it. So you can't really ever uh, change the past. The past is the past, but you can learn to live with it and you can, can learn to not allow it to continue to have an effect on your life. Um, so, yes, you can. Uh, I do see so many people who are who are stuck in, in trauma from their, pre, from their, their life, their you know, years of growing up, adolescence, all that, just the things that have happened in their life. But um, I also I also see other people who can work their way through that. Often takes therapy, often takes assistance from someone who really knows how to help you work your way through that. But the good news is that it is possible, which is, yeah, gives hope. How did you find yourself in this space? Tell us a little bit about your history. Why did you choose this kind of, uh, you know, this, this type of work? Yeah, so my, you know, leading me to this type of work was really based on a really traumatic experience that I had during my adolescence. So back, if we cast our mind back into the 70s, when I was a teenager, um, I, you know, was in high school and I, and I had a teenage pregnancy. And that was huge, hugely traumatic for my, for me, for my family. And um, back in those days, um, you know, girls were... It was, the options were, if you found yourself in that situation, were to either um, 
you know, um, have uh, some girls got married at like 15, 16. Like, well, I know, uh, to, their, to their cousins. <laughs> I am, yeah, like so, so shotgun weddings, you know. And the other thing, the other option was really um, adoption. And so for me, my parents decided that that's what would happen, that I would go, I was sent away to a place where I, I had an auntie lived there, but there was no other one no one else I knew there and I didn't live with my aunt because it was a big family secret so oh, I had to gosh. be kind I had to be kind of um you know I lived with someone who I'd never met before who ended up being a lovely elderly couple who took me in and were just wonderful um thankfully I'm very thankful for that uh, but anyway the, the long story short is that I um I was you know 15 and I was told that I'd ruined my life and that my life was over. And to me, that was inconceivable because my life hadn't even begun. Right. And so and so it gave me the determination to prove everyone wrong. No, my life wasn't over. Um, and that is the title of my, my first book, my memoir, that it's called I Ruined My Life, or so they said, because um, mm. it's just a demonstration of how I wasn't never going to let that actually be my life story. And it propelled me on to do things that I never probably would have done otherwise. So I was determined to complete my um, leaving certificate for school, which I did by correspondence um, that year that I was pregnant. And uh, and I did complete my schooling and complete my leaving, got my leaving certificate. Um, I then, um, years later, decided that um, while I loved being a wife and mother, I met my husband, we got married and had three three children, three more children together, that um, while I loved that, it wasn't fulfilling enough for me. And so I started searching for what I was going to do next. And I, you know, met people who introduced me to the thought of going to university, even though I hadn't, you know, hadn't had the best of uh, education from the point of view. I didn't go to like year 12. I went to year 10. Um, so I didn't but do it. Look at you, but look at you now. Let me ask a, a little question. Was it a closed adoption? Yes, okay. it was. So you Which never was. found you never found your well. Your child? Well, the well the good the good sto good news story is that for um I didn't for like almost thirty years. Wow. I didn't. But we have found each sort. We found each other. And uh, we are in each other's lives now, and he and my it's my son, and he's married, and his wife's lovely, and two beautiful boys, and we keep in touch. So I don't live in the same town. We don't live in the same town, but we keep in touch oh, on birthdays, Christmas, you know, special occasions. You know what? And you did what you had to do. There's no yeah. shame associated with that. So any young woman or young man, you know, the young men. They're like the silent partner, you know, yeah, you're, you know, partying and intimacy yep. and, and, you know, you don't know what happens. My mother got pregnant the first time uh, at 14 years old. Yeah. And she stayed with my grandmother. She didn't even know what pregnancy was. No. So I encourage parents to have that conversation. Sex is the most beautiful thing that God ever created and the human body. But to teach your children the warning signs of what can happen. And, you know, the consequences of their actions. I just found my brother. We did a DNA test. And I looked at, I looked at my e email. And there was this gentleman that had been kept emailing me. I thought he was flirting with me at first. Yes. <laughs> and then he says, I'd like to meet you. I never knew our father. 
I said, our father. And I looked in there and I tell you, he was a perfect match. Long story short, he flew here to San Diego to meet me about two weeks ago. And he is a welcome addition. He is so wonderful, so smart so and so heady. Um, but, you know, it's a coincidence. So I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the decision that you made. I'm proud of the woman that you are today. Um, oh, because you. there is is a lot to say to that. There's a lot of young women that are going through that. And it's very traumatic. And it's I know that there's a lot of counselors or therapists that go through this because it's very therapeutic for them to help others. But this also gives them a gateway to continue to work through their own issues. Is it helpful to you? You know, I felt I found that when I was studying at university and I studied for many years because I love learning and I and I completed one degree after another after another. And I just really until I completed my Ph.D., my doctorate. And I um, I've. I found that when I was working through what I was learning at university, it was very therapeutic because I couldn't help but apply those learnings to my own life and my own situation. And so by the time I completed university, which was many, many years, I felt I felt like I'd, you know, um, been my own therapist for many years and had um, and had worked and sorted a lot of stuff out in my own mind, you know, and uh, came out, uh, a better, I think, a better person for it. And um, and left a lot of the trauma behind, in all honesty. Yeah. Exactly. And you yeah. look back on it and you go, wow. And then what really kind of annoys you is that it wasn't self-induced. It was inflicted no. upon me. Yes. But yeah. it's a different time. Your parents didn't know what to do. Exactly. There's a shame. You know, oh. Oh, oh, how, right. how, yeah. how do we have this, you know, 15, 16 year old girl walking around with this big belly? Every night, everybody knows what's going on. Did you, uh, were you able to reconcile and forgive your parents for the additional yes. trauma that they put you through? In time, because I re I recognize that, like I tried to put myself in their shoes as, as I became a parent to teenage children myself, I tried to put myself in their shoes and try to imagine what would I do? And much as I really am not in favor of closed adoptions at all, I don't think it's good for anyone. Um, I think that at the time that was, I don't think there was any other option. I don't, right. uh, open adoptions were not even spoken about or known of really. And I think they did what they thought was the best that they could do for me. And I mean, that's all you can ask any parent to do. Um, so I, yeah, I've forgiven, I've forgiven them. I, I, I think they didn't know what to do and they did the best that they they thought they could for me. Well, they, did, they didn't have options because I had a family member, Dr. Ann, that had 28 abortions. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, you know, and when she sat down and told me that, I literally got sick to my stomach. Mm. And this, it was not a time. And I was like, well, you, you're pretty hot. <laughs> you need yeah. more than birth control. You need a fire extinguisher. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't talked about. What yeah. is that option like for women in Australia? They have um, they're actively trying to revolt. Re they are actively trying to roll back a woman's right to choose here in the United States. I know, I follow. And yeah, it can be any given situation that they make that choice, but it's mine. It's my uterus. It's me. I yes. have to deal with my maker. Are they very strict about that in uh, Australia? Uh, no, not as strict as 
it seems that things are moving towards in America from what I see. Um, there are still, there are still um, you know, clinic, family planning clinics available and uh, there's still options available for women to access um, if, if a termination is what they, what they feel they need to do. Um, and you're right, you know, every woman, there's different situations, different circumstances for everyone. And there's not one size fits all to make, be making legislation to say that, you know, every woman is not allowed to have, to have a termination or every woman. And, and the decision is being made by primarily men. Absolutely. Who have yeah. never been through this. And I'm telling you, if they had one menstrual, <laughs> They'd be a lot more compassionate and understanding, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes talk therapy is not enough. Uh, something else that they're doing here in America, they're making psych uh, mushrooms, magic mushrooms. Psychedelics, yes. Psychedelics. They're, they're making psychedelics legal. Hmm. You know, I've read some articles and they're saying that it is very helpful. It helps release trauma it helps their clients reframe the situation um but it's going to turn recreational and wow. i don't know how i feel about that it's hard to go through i would imagine talk therapy for 10 12 years after you've lived a situation for 20 years but you want a major breakthrough. You can't just go into the dispensary and get you some magic mushrooms and think it's going to be all right. This needs to be facilitated. I also heard that they're still doing shock therapy. Mm. Have you heard about that as well? Oh, so that's that's been a yes. I have heard about both of those. I mean, the shock therapy has been around for many many years, um, and it, it's it's not used. I don't believe it's used as much. Well, in Australia, as it used to be, as it was years go years gone by, um, and it's always administered by psychiatrists. So, um, yeah, it's and it has mixed, still got, I think, has mixed um, findings about the effectiveness of that particular, you know, modality. But um, with psychedelics, I can tell you that in Australia, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Um, legalize the use of psychedelics in Australia from the 1st of July this year but there are a lot of regulations that uh, surround it and in, and even though they've um, approved it it's still not being used because those regulations are still being uh, finalized and so it has to be applied in really strict supervised environments with a psychiatrist and a psychologist uh, present to administer and monitor so it's not something that can be just done over buy it over the counter, take it home, use it. It has to be um, used in therapeutic settings with supervision. Um, but the good news is that the early indications of research into the use of psychedelics for the treatment, of, for treating um, what they're calling um, treatment resistant depression or treatment resistant PTSD is actually showing really positive signs for those people who've been in therapy for years. And in all honesty, talk therapy is just not cutting it for them. It's just not working. Um, right. So yeah, so you know, boost. so you kind of hope that it that it helps those people and gives them some relief. The ones who've been suffering for years and years and years, and with no kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Well, we all have a tick, okay? We all have a trigger. You can't tell me that you don't. You know, I got stung by a bee, and every time I see a bee, I, you know, yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be these monumental events. 
that can impact your life. Yes. That can turn it from a flicker to a flame. Also, I hear that there is a lot of uh, desire now to do work with ayahuasca and shamans. Now, I know that that's not necessarily your line of work, but past life regressions and releasing that epigenetics and that uh, that generational trauma, it can be unnerving because you realize what happened to you um, I, I don't know. What What do you feel about therapy and, and going that deep, trying to find out what happened in your past to help you figure out what's going to happen in your future or happening to you now? That's some heavy duty work. It is. It is. I mean, there is evidence of, um, you know, the way in which uh, intergenerational trauma can be genetically embedded within our, within our nervous systems. And so it does, I think it, helps for some people to help them understand why they may be experiencing um, some of the uh, some of the trauma and some of the some of the effects of that intergenerational trauma that they can't make sense out of and it, yet it's impacting upon their lives so I think that's certainly a place for it um, but again I think it needs to be uh, worked through uh, someone needs to work through that with a really experienced and very skilled therapist so that they are not re-traumatized and by by learning out learning this new information um, and also that they can be supported in uh, you know in an empathetic caring kind of way to know how to then move forward once they know this information right. um, so that it's not, so that it's not going to continue to have a really detrimental effect on their lives yeah i'm liking to ask you all of these different scenarios because uh, you feel like a person that is very empathetic and warm. Uh, your voice tone is very soothing. So these are great questions to ask you. I can, I'm I can real, sit I'm on really your happy. couch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy to answer these questions. You know, April, I just love working with people. I, um, like from my life experience, you know, and I had so, and, and my journey in life, I've met some really, really wonderful people, caring people, supportive people, empathetic people who helped me throughout my life journey to get to where I am in life, to, to be the person I am, including my including my parents, you know, and other people along the, the journey. They did the, they did the best they could with what they had. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what they were taught. And that is, yep. you know, yep. you can't and blame so, them. No, absolutely. And I don't. And I don't, you know, I've worked through all that. But the reason for saying this is because so I get a lot of um, life satisfaction, enjoyment out of seeing other people achieve in life because I've had people help me on that journey. And I know if I can do the same for someone else, just one other person, then, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm very, I feel like I'm a really fortunate person in life. Well, you are. You made an imprint on society. That's what I say about my podcast. It's not about me. It's totally about you, my guests, and the audience that listen. One more scenario. Yes. I've got an upcoming guest that has been just now released, for the lack of a better term, from 30 years of brainwashing from a guru. She has to drive past this house every day when she goes to work, and she knows there's about 30 or 40 other people there. She'll say his name and she'll like bob up and down like a cork. Uh, she talked about how they would make her meditate 
three, four hours. Now, look, if you get me in a great meditation and I'm there in a trance for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, that's gold. But daily, three and four hours. That psychological footprint is hard to erase. Is there hope? Absolutely. Well, yes, there's hope. There's always. There's always hope. And, And now that she's not in that situation, in that environment anymore, if she can find the right person who is a good match for her. And that's the other thing about ter- therapists. It's a bit like you've got to, you can, you can get gain, you can gain a lot of um, headway. You can, you can really achieve some goals if you actually are matched up with the right therapist for you. You know, it's like, you know, find the right doctor, find the right dentist, find the right therapist. But if you can find the right one for you, then they can act and you have that rapport with them, then you can actually, um, you can move forward and you can, it's, it's dealing with the trauma. It's the same sort of um, process and understanding of dealing with the trauma of what she's experienced over such a long time and helping her to relearn how to live her life in a different way that's more um, who she wants to be and what she wants to do. Yeah. A lot of women are battered. They are victim of sexual assault by their partner or they've been violated as a child. What do you say to that woman right now that's struggling, that just, you know, just is thinking about flipping the switch? How do you keep her encouraged to hang on? Well, the most important thing is to let them know that there is hope and that there are services and people available who can assist them and who are there to assist them. So they don't feel like they're all on their own and it's overwhelming, it's too much and and too hard. So um, that's the very first thing is, 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 is demonstrating that level of empathy as well to say, um, you know, so many women go through what you what you're going through, or have, have so many women have been through what you're going through, or are still going through. And so this is a sadly, it's too common an experience. But there's a way that that we can assist you and support you to move out of that environment, that situation. And you talk, and then you talk about what's available if they want to hear it, if they're in, if they're ready to hear it. Exactly, um, because you've got to be ready to receive it. And Absolutely. The, and the breakthrough is not going to be easy. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to sugarcoat it um, because at one point, maybe more than one point, you're going to have to relive this. You may have to uh, be in contact with your oppressor. I've got one guest that was on my show. Her father-in-law is putting voodoo on her, Dr. Ann. And her, wait, and her, oh, I'll have to send you the interview. And her mother is still married to this man and knows what's going on. So when you go through this, don't have expectations of others or how they're going to receive it. It's all about you. It's all about your healing, you being able to forgive, you being able to edit and filter, you being able to look at your child uh, and say, look, this is what I've been through. I want you to try to avoid these pitfalls but also pick yourself up by the bootstraps and march on. Right, Dr. Ann? Yeah, I mean, yes, it is It is about putting one foot in front of the other, one day, at, one hour at a time, one day at a time, but knowing that you've got supportive people around you, people who are working with you, people who you can call if you're in a real emergency. But, you know, most women on average will leave a, will leave a domestic violence relationship, like on average, seven times right. and go back before they make a decision to finally break free 
for good, you know, for good. And then, um, and often they go back because there's nowhere else for them to go, or they go back because they've got children and they can't afford, you know, they have, you know, all the necessities of life. And it's just so hard that they go back and they go back and they go back. Or they've been brainwashed by their oppressor. Absolutely. Uh, that you're not good enough. You're nothing without me. You know, yeah. I provide for you. Uh, Absolutely. And, and I mean, the sexual assault, because as I, as I told uh, someone that I know, it's not intimacy and sex anymore. It becomes rape. Well, and, and that's all about power. It's not about sex. It's about power. It's about I have power over you. I can do to you whatever I want, you, want to do to you. And the other thing that um, has been legislated against in um, – in the state that I live in, in Queensland, Australia, and I think in other states of Australia as well, is um, so strangulation has actually been legislated against in, as, as it's been become into the criminal code because so many, and I'm going to talk about men in particular because the majority of perpetrators of domestic violence are men, although I do acknowledge that women can uh, perpetrate domestic violence as well, but they're in the minority. So um, I just wanted to say that the um, strangulation is such a common, common aspect of maintaining power and control over a woman okay wait 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 let's let's be a little graphic here are you talking about physical strangulation or are you talking about the insertion of a penis in a woman Uh, well i'm talking about as well i'm talking about strangulation uh around the neck often it occurs often it occurs during the time of being sexually assaulted being raped even if it is by your by a partner um because all of that is really about coercive control, and it's really letting the the the, the male know, letting the male letting the woman know, I have control over you. I can do whatever I want to you. I can end your life if I choose to. Like so, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate in um, holding power over a woman. It's ultimate in coercive control. Yeah. You know what? Someone else told me that I found very fascinating is that uh, abuse. Perpetrators and abusers of assault also assault animals. There is a pattern that they are abusive to animals, small dogs or cats or whatever. And that's some sort of, I don't know, pattern, indicator or whatever of abuse that they subject their victim to. I I didn't think about that until a girlfriend of mine uh, told me that her husband has socked a chihuahua in the eye. A chihuahua. The dog had a black eye. Needless to say, she had come to work about two, three weeks later with bruises and marks, and she had a black eye too. I don't know what that is. Again, it must be that control, that power, or that cowardliness. It is about trying to exert power over the other um, and to hurt um, often children, children and animals, you know, because because that seemed to be the ultimate way to hurt her, hurt right. the woman. Wow. If you hurt if you hurt the family pets, if you hurt the children, then you're hurting her, and she will be easier to control because she doesn't she wants to protect her children and the and the animal you know pets. And so when I worked in in women's uh, services, domestic violence services, we also had to have a access to an emergency um, uh, service for pets. Because sometimes women wouldn't leave if if the pets pets couldn't go with them because they know the pets would be really abused, badly killed, or you know 
the horrific things done to the pet. So we had to, if the woman was going to leave a situation, we had to make sure that we had a, a safe place for her and her children to go to. But we also had to make sure that we could locate a safe place for her and put her pet so that, that she would actually say, yes, I'll go now, I'll leave. And then rebuilding your life can be scary. You know, starting from the ground up. You've Absolutely. had this beautiful house. You had, you know, lunches with the girls at the country club where you've kept the secret. Or you've been self-medicating, trying to subdue the pain. And now you look at yourself with a blank canvas. Where do I go? What do I do? Again, it's that one foot in front of the other. I'm sure that you work with programs that help women to find housing, to find jobs, find more than just their self-esteem, correct? Absolutely. And can I tell you that, you know, as horrific as some of what we've been talking about is, and it definitely is. There are some really wonderful, wonderful success stories um, that I've seen as well. And it's just such a privilege to be part of those women's lives, to see them move forward in their life. You know, yes, they've left violent relationships. They've um, they've moved on. They've got their own, um, maybe a new, new home for themselves, their children. Um, the services that can go in and help to set it up, put it completely, furnish it, completely fit it out with everything that that woman would need. And so being able to sort of, uh, pull, pull all those connections and uh, tap into all those other services to see them get re-established. It just takes a weight off their shoulders because they don't know how on earth they're ever going to do this for themselves. And it's almost impossible to do on your own. When, and so it's lovely. And then they go on and they gain employment and they meet, they eventually meet someone, you know, do a lot of work on themselves. And then eventually I've seen women who have met um you know, made new, have new partners, but partners who are very respectful and who are very um, considerate of their needs and it, and it works out well. So there's some, I have to say, there's some really lovely stories that I've seen the end of as well. Uh, absolutely. Know? And now you can make better choices. You see the signs, you understand your boundaries, what you won't tolerate. There's a sense of independence. That's right. And so when I, when I was working. That's right. And when I was working in the women's services, you know, we ran programs. We ran programs for women to help them identify why, what it is, why they're current, why they're attracted to certain um, men, or certain men are attracted to them, who they let into their lives, um, and what those traits are, and where those, where that comes from. You know, maybe from having grown up in a family situation where there was domestic violence, and that became the norm. That became what they expected. Nothing more for themselves. And when they realised that they they can expect more for themselves. It's like a whole new world opens up for them. And that's really lovely to see as well. And it's language. Listen to what a person says. Look at their behavior. Look at how they treated their mother or they talk about women. Uh, yes. If you're in a restaurant or where, watch that wandering eye. Use your senses. Extract your heart at first, you know. You got to use your brain. You got to be smart. Because somebody will say something sweet to you and, oh, my goodness, don't let him be a good kisser and a hugger. <laughs> That's right. You yeah. fall in. So, Dr. Ann, I want to ask you also about the uh, unsheltered and homeless population there. It is unbelievable here in the United States. They're, leave, they're living three rows deep on the street in tents. Yeah, it's terrible. And you know what, April, it's really very much the same in Australia. And it's really bad at the moment because um, there's a combination of things, but it's the cost of living. It's the um, the interest rates have risen dramatically over the last couple of years and people are just not able to keep up with it, with the payments. Um, and also 
you know, you can't rent a place because the vacancy rate is less than 1% in Australia. Wow. And so there's just not enough housing stock. There's not enough buildings and apartments and units available to put people into. And so um, there are people living in tents. There are people, like even the town that I live in, there are people who live in tents um, on the riverbanks because there's nowhere else for them to live. It's wow. just terrible. I heard yeah, also that uh, it's largely impacted by the youth too. Uh, a lot of youth are, are unemployed, but we're finding in Australia that the uh, most uh, the most rapidly growing cohort of homelessness is in the cohort of women who are aged 55 and above who are single. Wow. Yeah, because they don't have, like we have superannuation in Australia um, and, be, and I don't know if you do in the States have superannuation. What is it's it? compul it's compulsory saving that we um, we get money taken out of our wages that goes into a superannuation fund that we can't touch until yeah. we're over until we're it, over retirement age. Uh, we call it social security. I call it trickery. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I don't if I don't lock mine in in a year or two, I'll probably never see it. Well, a lot of these women don't have superannuation because they've you know in in divorces and relationship breakups, you know um, they all that stuff gets split up and divided and usually women end up with nothing very little or nothing and they're it got the cut they might have a vehicle a car that they're sleeping in um yeah it's just it's just so sad to see wow 55 yeah. and women yeah. something to take yeah. note of yeah yeah it's amazing it should never happen they've raised their families they've done all the hard work they've they've worked all their lives and that gets to the stage where they're on their own single a single and alone and and this is their life and it's just not right yeah. it's just it's just terrible yeah into it you've done all this great work but you've also had an opportunity and time to put pen to pad tell us a little bit about your books yes okay thanks april well i'd love to so my first book as i mentioned it was a memoir and um i felt really compelled to write this but after about 15 years of thinking about it so I wrote my memoir because I wanted to demonstrate um, to other women in particular that even though you have things happen in your life like I as I had in my teenage years you know and everyone wants to tell you that um, you know basically it's you screwed your life up and there's no hope now it's all done that's not the case you know you don't have to listen to those messages you can you can um you can move forward in your life. Just got to find the right people to support you and show you the way. But so my story, I wrote it because I wanted to demonstrate how it, to anyone who reads it, that if you go through a tough time and people want to tell you all the reasons why you're not going to ever amount to anything in life, you don't need to listen to that, you know, and to demonstrate then how just through my life experiences, what I then went on to do. And hopefully that that can be seen to be as an example of what others can also achieve. You know, nothing's, nothing's impossible really um so that was my memoir and so let I me see if, let me see you have it there with you i do i do so that's this one i'll see if i can hold it up oh, oh, oh hang on well, there. would you grace us with a reading a small excerpt from your book i would love to april um this is a just a few sentences um and it relates to the time when i was um living with the uh, elderly couple I mentioned earlier and I was uh, pregnant and a long way from home and feeling a bit alone and I had decided I was going to prove everyone wrong and complete my schooling so this was me I had a small table with a chair set up in the corner of my bedroom where I studied each day I'd write out all of my assignments by hand no computers back then 
and I emailed them to correspondence school each week. I said email, actually mailed, not email, because there wasn't email back then either. <laughs> <laughs> I was really committed to my studies as I was determined to complete grade 10 and get my junior certificate. I probably studied to the level of my ability that my teachers always commented I was capable of, but never really putting my mind to the task. Whereas now I was giving it my all. It is amazing what you can do when you have a clear goal in sight and you're determined to achieve it. This was a good lesson for me to learn. It's a focus I've always since maintained throughout my life, no matter what I strive to achieve. And that's a good life lesson for anyone and for everyone. It's tenacity, it's resilience, it's never giving up. You don't know what's around the corner until you turn it. So bravo, exactly. bravo Thank for you. you. Tell Thank us a little you. bit about um, the program that you currently have when it comes to helping people with life mastery. Yes, well, I have developed a, uh, it's, I call it my uh, five A's to life achievement model. And it really, and I developed this myself. And it really is the way that I work with women to help them um, the, assess what their life goals are or what their life goal is to assess and determine what it is to, I'll just um, have a look. I've got my book here. I'll, I wrote a book about my coaching as well. So I'll just quickly tell you the um, five stages are really assessing what's important to you in terms of what you want to achieve. Um, once you've, once you've identified that, then to actually put a plan and steps in place and uh, then affirm again for yourself that that really is the goal that you want to achieve and you've got your plan now how to move forward to achieve it. The next step is to actually take action and put that plan into, into um, process, get it underway. And, of course, like any plan that you put in place, you have to review it and you have to appraise it. So the next step is to appraise your progress um, see if you're on track, see if you need to make any adjustments, any changes to that goal that you're striving to achieve and how you're going to get there. You make those changes if there, if there are some that need to be made, made and then you continue to move forward. And you keep doing that as many times as you need to until you accomplish the goal that you set out to achieve. So, um, so with consistency and application and, and diligence um, are the ways to creating um, individual success. So that's the model that I have developed and that I use to work with uh, the women who I coach in their life. And their goals can be anything. <laughs> well, I wrote it down. I took notes. Uh, assessing, planning, yes. affirming, taking yes. action, and review your yes. plan. Yes. Can I add one more? Yes. Dream. Dream the impossible dream. Oh. Be a manifester. Ask the universe God, spirit, source, as we call it, Gus. <laughs> yes. yes. What is your, your objectives? Do you even know? Sometimes it's hard. You know, when you were in grade 10, I was in grade 11. What are you going to do when you get out of uh, high school? The pressure is put on you. I don't know. I want to lay up like lunch meat. I don't want to do nothing. <laughs> but the pressure is on you to go to university, get a trade, get married, have children, yada, yada. These are yes. expectations of other individuals. Dial back, sure. take a breath. Again, you have a blank canvas. Paint a masterpiece. What is it that you truly want? Do you want yes. to be an artist? Do you want to be a chef? Do you want to be a gardener? Do you want to work in the field of psychology and trauma recovery to help yes. other individuals? Dream the impossible dream. And I'll tell you, 
you that and all of these practical applications that Dr. Ann has outlined in her books, I don't see any other way but success for you. Thank you so much for being here with me and my guests. You are such a gift to the world, and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, please tell my brains how to get in contact with you, how to work with you, and how to purchase a copy of the books. Yeah, thank you, April. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, be uh, interviewed by you to be part of this podcast. So thank you so much. Uh, so to get in touch with me, um, my website is just uh, drannbutcher.com. It's really nice and easy. It's When I say doctor, it's just dr, drannbutcher.com. Um, let, me, let me add a question to that. Is it .au at the end of that? No, it's not. It's okay. just com. Yeah. Make okay. it not I tried to make it nice and easy and short. Yeah. Um, the other way to get in touch with me is through Facebook. My Facebook page is just called Dr. Ann Butcher. Uh, you can you can make contact with me through Messenger on Facebook, uh, or my website. Uh, or um they're probably the, they're, my email address is on my website as well. So you can um, track me down that way. But I would love to, um, you know, very open to hear from anyone who's watching this who might have a question or an idea, suggestion, or be interested in talking to me about, you know, life coaching or uh, working with them in any way. I'm very open to that. Probably a different perspective. You know, you may be a different ethnicity. You may be a different age. You may be a citizen of a different country. Get a different perspective from someone that is impartial, that has no judgment, that doesn't even know you. Again, yes. it's fresh, it's new, it opens up ideas. Yes. Speaking of ideas, I did see one thing on your page that I had to share that um, intrigued me. And I kind of wanted to, to add this in before we close. Your parliament now is considering adding indigenous tribal people to the parliament. Tell us a little bit about that. That's uh, very fascinating. It is very fascinating, April. But uh, so yesterday was the day of the referendum in Australia. So there's been a referendum. Um, so I'll backtrack a little bit for listeners to give a little bit of the context to this. So back in 2017, there was a big um, constitutional referendum held in the centre of Australia around where Ayers Rock or Uluru is in Australia. Right. Uh, with the traditional owners and many traditional owners from many of the different lands in Australia, tribal lands in Australia. Uh, they came together and they put together a, um, a request to the government, basically, to give the Indigenous people of Australia a voice to Parliament and to enshrine that voice in the, in the Australian Constitution. Now, um, and they, what they wanted was a voice. To be, they wanted to be recognised as the traditional owners of Australia, because mm. in our legislation, um, Australia was said to be a land of terra nullius, which is a land that was meant to be um, unpopulated before white mm. colonisation. Now, we all know that that is not correct. So they wanted to put that straight and have that in the constitution that Indigenous peoples of this land were the first ones here before white colonisation, which is only fair, which is only right. Um, which is only the truth. Which is only the truth, exactly. And the second part was then they wanted, to, because Indigenous, uh, the statistics for Indigenous people in Australia in terms of life outcomes and life expectancy are particularly bad, very bad, um, in terms of life expectancy is um, a lot less than the non-Indigenous population. And in every one of the social indicators that you can imagine, um, child protection, incarceration, health, 
employment, like everything, the statistics are really um, way below, way below the, uh, the the average for for the non-Indigenous population. So they wanted a voice to government to advise them on ways in which these these serious social issues can be addressed um, by putting forward their own solutions to these problems to the government for the government's consideration, not for the government to actually be compelled to act against, just for consideration. So they called it the voice. They wanted to have a voice. And there was a referendum in Australia held yesterday, um, which I'm really sad to say was overwhelmingly defeated. So um, unfortunately, that is not going to happen. And um, for those who voted yes, who wanted that to happen, which I, of which I'm one, of whom I'm one, um, it's a very sad day today because it didn't actually eventuate. So um, I guess it's now time for the government to think about how they're going to listen to the voices of Indigenous people. You know what? And, and um, when you are the chosen sacrificial lamb, to whom much is given, much is required. So have hope. From my reading I, and understanding, the Indigenous people are some of the first people that inhabited the planet, not just Australia. Well, it's the oldest civilization in the in the world. Sixty five thousand years. Yeah. So again, they I don't know. Maybe they'll do like the indigenous people did here in California and open up casinos. <laughs> That's what they've done. The casino market is run by the tribal nations, and I'm telling you, they are making a killing. You know, yes. they've got to run on Vegas. If they are able to be self-sustained, you know, it's yes. hard because they want to keep their culture. They have to keep their culture, the their culture. history. They want to bring up their children. But what happens, again, is they've been so suppressed. I know it broke my heart. When I came to Australia and I saw Indigenous people with their didgeridoo dancing, painted on the pier like a carnival act, I didn't want to see that. I wanted no. to see them in their natural habitat, among their people. Um, but it's it's just a different time. And that's the same thing for, you know, Black Americans here. Um, we're in an upheaval. It's just the entire world. But I can say one thing about Australia. I find that it is like a portal. You're very, you're very spiritual there. So don't take that for granted, people. That is embedded in you. It's like we're going through this vortex. Um, we're trying to get to 5G. We're all having to go through this space. And for some reason, I'm thinking that Australia has a lot to do with it. So do not take that lightly and what you represent, and the blessings, and the beauty, and the wisdom, and the culture of the people that are there. They're not there to hurt you, intimidate you, disrespect you. They actually want to embrace you and help you get through this channel, this thing that we call life. Thank you yeah. so much, Dr. Ann. You are the business. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, April. I've really enjoyed talking with you and thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast. I, You're welcome. I can't thank you You're enough. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Friends, we love you all over the cotton-picking world. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Don't be mean. Don't traumatize anybody. And if you've experienced any of that, reach out and get some help. Go right here. Like, love, share, and subscribe. Like, love, share, and subscribe to On The Edge. We give you what you need. 
leave a comment. If you think what we're saying is hokey, tell us that too so that we can sharpen our knife and be at the top of our game, right on point. Thank you so much, Brains. Have an amazing day. We love you. Thank you.